But what, what it reminds me of is something like I learned relatively recently like in the last few years, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, which is that, which is that I realized that like, unless you're actually writing something, you're not writing. <laughs> because I spent many years, I spent decades thinking that if I was wandering around thinking of interesting stories, no matter how much I thought about that story, right. or how detailed it was in my head, if I wasn't writing it down into a structure, then it was not writing. It's just a bunch of garbage that's, that's floating around in there. Hey, thanks for listening. I don't know if it's just me or if it's everyone else, but I have the hardest time shifting gears. And I remember how much harder it was for me to do that, I don't know, 10 plus years ago when it came to integrating the idea of writing into my work schedule. And I recall I would sit in my studio and I would never get any writing done. I would probably open files up. I would look at things. I was so focused on my design client work that had the emails on. I had uh, those programs open, maybe some project files open. It was very hard for me to commit to writing. I didn't permit myself to take the time and it was there and it wasn't like I was, you know, nine to five, five days a week. I had, you know, my schedule is relatively flexible and I could make the time to do it, but I wouldn't. And I am sure a huge chunk had to do with the fear of the unknown, um, being uncomfortable with the idea of writing versus drawing or designing, which are so visual it was super tough. And, you know, and the classic, you know, create other distractions, you know, motif came into play. So I think what it was is that I had this fear of starting and not finishing another thing. I remember, I don't know how many years ago, eight years ago, I created what I called the loose ends project, which was this thing based on my dismay at all the sort of unfinished creative projects I had in my studio that I had moved from New York to Atlanta to back to New York to New Jersey to Asheville. I guess maybe I needed to do to some degree to be able to cross them off this invisible list of my psyche to move on to the next thing. And, and finishing the projects didn't happen overnight, nor did the jumping into the writing. But and then I find myself, you know, that, that, that gear, and I said gear shifting earlier, you know, now with my design client work picking back up, there's this definite like, whoa, um, how do I make that time? How do I make sure that I'm doing the thing for both things? But the hard part is that client work is there and it's hard to negotiate uh, phone calls and uh, emails that come in and I need to address these client needs because they aren't going to sit and wait for hours for me to get around to it. So um, then writing sort of becomes a little bit of a gap filler and that's okay. Anyway, I'd love to hear how you handle your 
uh, shifting back and forth. If any if anyone wants to share with that, um, you can do it. I think, I think you can do it in the comments below on the Substack. Speaking of which, if you aren't listening to this through Substack, it's totally cool however you listen to it, but uh, it'd be great if you subscribe. That way you can get a notification when episodes come out. I would love to do some extra episodes later this year. We'll see how that goes. I just, there's a huge list of people I want to talk to and a huge list of people I've spoken with before that I would love to speak with again. And that, you know, if that list is taken care of, then I don't have to make a a new email to a new guest for the next year and a half. And I don't want to miss out on talking (laughs) with new people as well. So, um, time is precious, but we'll see. I, I, I do really enjoy these talks. Anyway, go check out the Substack. You can find the link anywhere on any of my social media, jalexmorrissey or jalexmorrissey.com. This week's guest is Carl Kerschel. Carl is, he's a writer who draws. He's got some great stories. I've seen his work for a while, but I met him at a convention and we had a really nice chat. And that's, you know, that's always a great indicator of like how one of these talks are going to go. He is super thoughtful and really, really eager to push his craft as a storyteller on every front. Uh, he's done a lot of great work for Marvel, DC and other companies. So um, he's got a handful of his own uh, creator own projects of Isola and his ongoing webcomic, The Abominable Charles Christopher. And then he has Death Transit Tanager, which is totally rad. Um, we both got really lost in the conversation and uh, didn't recognize the time go by. So um, he's bound to come back because we have more to say. And this is me with Carl Kershaw. Congratulations on the uh, Kickstarter completion because it's uh, it, it's nice to get out of the way. Yeah, it's being completed as we speak. Like I, yeah. well, I mean, the the mo- the majority of it is I still have to do because um, part of my Kickstarter was was also uh, doing um, commissions, like a, a limited number of commissions okay. and like cover sketches and things. So I had to do that stuff, but we'll have to complete that stuff. So that's all kind of going out afterwards. But, right. um, but I want to get just the majority of like all of the standard packages out the door so people have them in their hands. Especially I mean, before New York Comic Con, because I'm going to go to New York Comic Con in October right. with, with a bunch of these books. And I want people to have, you know, have, them, have had them mailed to them before I show up with the same, <laughs> the same comics for other people, right. not backers. Uh, and, and or do the like, hey, uh, I'll bring it to you at the show if you're coming, kind of thing. I'm There's s- also that, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I don't mind. Like, I, I, I get why people want to do that, but I always like, like when you're gearing up for these shows, it's so it's like the last thing on your list uh-huh. is like remembering to bring, <laughs> bring well, custom things. So yeah, I just think it, brings, it invites error. It, it invites you know error. You know, mm. you, you you either you know you miss something. And that person shows up and you don't have the thing for them. And that's like, you know, so it's, you know, you never know. Um, I was supposed you... to bring a thing, one of the original pieces to um, Heroes Con uh, for someone and then totally forgot about it. Have you, that's, how have you been since then? Anyway, that was a couple months ago now. Good. 
Yeah, good. I so I, I've just been, I've been writing a draft, doing a first draft of my next novel. So I've just been. I mean, I guess since I've seen you, I've written seventy thousand words for the next book. So just mm-hmm. kind of plodding along, head down. Today was the first day in nearly two months that I did not write in the morning. I had a I had a, had a big client presentation for a, a design project, so I had to get up early and make sure everything was squared away before we talked with them. So that was the, it's a very weird feeling. Like, like, you know, when you, when you've been writing, you know, drawing on a book, you know, for a long time, and then you're like, you have some time off. It's a very strange, like, like, Oh, should, I should be drawing. Right. I should be mm-hmm. writing something. I'd love to talk more about the, the, like, well, even just your process and writing in general, because it's where my head's been for the last that's a couple of years really because because i like the because now for me the drawing part of it is just like the work mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. um the writing part of it is where is where everything's simmering and where i'm i'm inspired and when you know when you're walking around you're on walks and your your brain is just on a, like crunching away on mm-hmm. a chunk of story like that's where that's where i'm finding all my creative joy then after that it's just executing the thing yeah you know, ho- hoping to get you know, hoping to make it what I, you know, what I'd envisioned or what I'd actually written. It was like, it's like penciling. It was like penciling a page. I remember that feeling. I would like, I, you know, I had my thumbnail, you know, solved all those problems and I would sort of make the whole page in a rough, you know, I'd rough it all out. And then I would go, Oh, now I got to render it. Like it was oh. like, that was this chore process from like the storytelling was the part that I realized that that was the exciting part for me. Um, and it's funny you ask that because I was, you know, looking through your work and thinking about it. Like I was looking your, I'm like, Oh, like I can see, I can see a timeline in your evolution of like defining and stepping out saying, I want, I'm writing stories. Like you can see the line for you. Like, you know, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Cause you're, you know, you did the, the, the abominable stuff. And that's like the evolution of like stretching out to long form mm-hmm. and the opportunity, like, but in small bite-sized chunks. And then, you know, and then like, re- you know, reading, you know, Death Transit, I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, this is like really good story. And the funny thing is I've read it twice now. <laughs> and both times my mind went into different directions as to what was going to happen. Which I, which I was pretty excited about because this resolution wasn't what I was was sort of fabricating, which uh, is always a good a good sign for my mind. Um, so I, yeah, so I'm actually kind of psyched that you want to talk about that. Um, so for me, it took me a long time to say I want I want to I, that I that I was going to write something. I wrote things. I rewrote stuff as a means to an end, like at Marvel, I didn't, I didn't seek it out as a thing that I felt I could do because I didn't have a piece of paper that says I could write something and a piece of paper that says I could draw something. So that was my, my mental hang up. But I mean, I got so much joy putting my sample pages together over the years of being an artist. Cause I got to write a story. I would write mm-hmm. that six page story with all the intention of catching the eye of an editor and say, having them go, Ooh, I really like what you do here. You know, probably should hand them a script while I was doing it. But what was it for you that you said, like, I'm going to do, I'm going to write something. Well, I think 
I, I had, I, I don't want to say I had no interest in it before, because I think I always had a, just like a, a vision for the things I was working on, even if they were written by other people, I always had, I always felt like I had, or at least wanted to have a, a hand in the, in the narrative aspect of it. Um, but when I first started, it was, it was really, um, you know, I was just figuring out how to tell a story visually. So I was totally satisfied with that. Like that was enough of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but Brendan Fletcher and I, um, having grown up together and having kind of discovered comics together, I, I should say what we really discovered together was, was, um, story and story structure and like, and the art of, um, of, um, of, of how to tell a story either, either, um, well or poorly. And, uh, whether it was from reading comics and studying them or analyzing film, like we just talk about that stuff all the time. We worked on things that never saw the light of day that were just, um, that were just attempts at stories. Like they were, they were really, um, they were really, uh, you know, they were, they were above what we were capable of, you know, but we didn't totally. know that at the time. So, so I just think we learned a whole lot um, as, as like fledgling writers that we'd never, you know, we never paid for any of that work. We never really became, um, credited professionals, uh, until, until a lot later, but I learned so much during that time. And it, what it did for me was sort of, um, give me an appreciation of when things are not right. You know, mm. like, like I could, I could then watch a movie or, or read a book or read a comic book and, and know when a story is just not right. Mm-hmm. Like I just had like a, a sense of it. It comes down to, um, I think, just taste at some on some level. You know, where you're just yeah. like, like, like this, like this, this almost works, but but it could be just tweaked in this little way to to make it to right make it ten times better. Um, and and having having said all that, like I think I've been doing it for so long, but never you know never professionally. And so when it came. I think the first, like when I was working on Adventures of Superman with Greg Rucka, um, he was more, he was open to um, input. Like we'd have phone conversations where we'd talk about, he'd have a story planned out um, for what was happening in those issues. But like, you know, there was room for me to just talk about stuff and say, I think it'd be cool if, you know, we did this or like, what, what if we like, um, you know, same story, but what if we, you know, like went to this point of view or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, things like that, that kind of gave me my first taste of doing it, doing that professionally. And then Teen Titans year one, I think was when I had, I have no writing credit on Teen Titans year one right. and, I, and I did not write it, but I did, uh, I think, um, work with Amy Wolfram a lot because she had never written comics before. Mm-hmm. So she was coming from, um, uh, an animation background. She, she was a writer for the cartoon and um, she had no idea what, you know, what was expected of her as a comic book writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we spent like, hours just talking on the phone and in a way that I had never done with, with other comic book people. Um, just, just talking about um, character and, um, and, and, and um, themes and mood. And just like what, just what we wanted for this thing. So I felt like I, I had a real heavy hand in the way that book turned out. And I think it's like, I was told in a, in a recent um, interview, someone, 
because it's hard to it's hard to have any perspective on this stuff yourself. But I was told that that is the point at which I think my work became um, a little more individual. You know, like yeah. I think I think prior to that series, I was doing you know I was drawing comic books, mm-hmm. and then as of Teen Titans, I think I think you could see more of my character come through. And then yeah. it was I think a year after that, I, I started a vulnerable house customer, which it's it just like a, an exploration, like really like baby steps into, into like, quote unquote writing. Right. Right. Well, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, li- I'm thinking about tracking like how, how that went for me. And I remember, you know, I, I worked with some writers who had never written before. And like, I remember having to rewrite a whole issue because the script was identical to the first issue. It was just kind of a different location, but the same beats. And I'm like, oh, that's not probably exciting for the readers. So I called the editor and said, hey, could I rewrite this? You know, but I'll have it end in the same spot. They were like, sure. Okay. And that was it. And there there was a series of this kind of things where I feel that like you you get a little bit of your hands wet in the unofficial capacity and you you kind of get to see like where all those sort of the organs are and you go, Oh, okay. I, I get that. And you were talking about that sensibility and feeling of story, you know, whether it's in the, the failed efforts of trying to do something much larger than yourself or your abilities and the, um, this, the obsessive nature of studying the subject of story storytelling. So those kind of two things kind of come together and then parts of the stories become clear to you when you can now look at something and say, Oh, well that's missing this, whatever the thing is, which help, which help you when it comes to looking at your work and feeling like I, I explain a lot of how I see story when I'm writing is I'm, it's like, you know, like synesthesia where you see colors from sounds. Like for me, like I feel shapes when I'm writing, I can feel what needs to fill a space mm-hmm. and the, whether that's whatever part of the story has to be, then I can kind of make whatever goes into that space to make it all kind of an object. And uh, yeah, I get, I know I get, I get what you're saying and that it, it's, it's kind of cool. And you've also, I mean, and you know, you have a good friend, um, who you grew up with, which was kind of helpful for someone who was seemingly pretty focused on the writing aspect of stories and, and then getting to work with like, you know, Becky, who's an artist who was doing well, writing. So that that's also sort of this template of like, Hey, you can do this. Yeah. I think Becky's followed a kind of a similar path, except she got into, writing her own stuff or at least co-writing her own stuff earlier than I did. I mean, she always had, um, she always had a real vision, you know, like she's like, like, like Becky Clune in comics. I, I feel like, you know, she, she found her way long before she was doing mainstream stuff. Like, yeah. you know, like the best Becky stuff is the stuff that she just goes off and does on her own. But it's interesting to see her uh, getting into just the writing end of things because she clearly has such a she's got a great sense of um of emotional timing you know mm-hmm. she knows she knows what not to show right I, I really appreciate yeah that's i mean wow that's i mean that, and it's so interesting because you know comic books and prose are very different executions but there are these really important aspects of what do you reveal to the audience and oh. you know the 
and I'm using the word not pejoratively, but the immature writer will want to show everything because they want, they want, they want to show off, you know, they want, mm-hmm. they're very excited about what they're doing while it takes a time to gain the sort of the sensibility and maturity to go, Hey, I, I think I need to, I think I need to hold these cards. Um, and then sometimes you need to show the cards. You just need to know what the, you know, you kind of know what the audience has to get to keep them on the hook. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really like the more, you know, the more you think about, the more I think about it, um, the more I try to deconstruct what, like what a story is, mm-hmm. the more I think that that's all it is. It's just keeping someone interested <laughs> from, yeah. from page to page or from panel to panel or whatever. Right. I mean, like as long as you're doing that and there's some kind of closure, I think you've told story. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. It's just, um, no, it doesn't have to be allegory. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, greater than just entertainment. When it is more than that, fantastic. Right. Then it's transcendent. Yes. And, and, but it's hard to shoot for that. Like, like I think when you're, when you're trying to do, when you're, when you're trying for these big swings, I think that's when, that's when things become slightly disingenuous. That's in, you know, so that's, that, that's a really strong thing where I think going back to the, you know, the, 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 the newer approach, you know, the newer writer aspect is, listen, we all want to write all this amazing, great stuff. I mean, that like nobody sits down to write something that's saying like, hey, I just want to make something. Like, I mean, you really want to try to wow people. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that like when you write something, just like when you draw something, that drawing isn't done. You have to like erase things and fix things and make it work into a, to a piece. And the same thing goes with stories. You have to sketch out what this idea is and you don't, you don't really initially put in all these elements that people go, Oh my God, that's that thing. Or this could mean like, this could be foreshadowing for something else. Often that foreshadowing doesn't happen in that first early draft. And mm-hmm. when you're, when you're new at it, you think, well, I guess I'm not really good at it because I, you know, I, I, I you know, because you just basically you throw your cards out there on the table too soon or you're, or you don't know where to put them but you're not giving yourself the kindness of saying, okay, I got the tent poles up. Now let's put the canvas over it. Let's tighten the things. Let's put some lamps in here. Let's turn it into something. And it takes a while to do that rather than just, you know, vomit it out on the pages of some perfect object. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about to, I, like my approach to, to um, writing a story, but well, now I'm, now I'm writing stuff. Um, that I'm drawing also for, for DC. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when I write, you know, when I write scripts for that, like I, you know, I did some short stories in Batman, I'm working on another thing now, but it's the first time I've actually had to formally write it. Actually, I don't even know if I have to, like, I, I you know, like I, I think I could just write Marvel style notes, but I, I wanted to try um, formally writing a script mm-hmm. you know, for this, for this three part thing I'm doing. And, um, and I have to, in order to do that, I, I feel like I spend a lot of time <clears throat> just in the, like, it, it, just in the synopsis state, like, like, you know, like a few paragraphs about each, each issue, this thing. And like really everything when I'm writing these scripts hinges on that, like whether those hang together, like if, if these synopses hang together, then I can basically get it, you know, 
it's like a, it's like having a roadmap and, and you can't really mm -hmm. go too far wrong there. But when I'm working on, you know, like when I'm doing the abominable comic, like none of that is there. Like there's no plan or roadmap at all. It's just right. like, it's just, you know, whatever, because it's a, because it's basically essentially a weekly gag strip. I'm just kind of going, um, you know, week, week to week or, or strip to strip. And the fact that any narrative occurs at all is almost accidental, almost, it, almost unwelcome. Like I didn't want to do that. It just, right. it just started, started happening. So, okay. You, you were talking about the difference between, you know, between writing and writing for yourself as an artist. And that's a really common, I, lo I love having this, this discussion because I'm, I am a person who did it all the time where, you know, it's a piece of paper and a pencil is how you write your comic book story. You start oh. making rectangles and you start filling in little shapes to, to like with clay form this storyline. And then you look at it and you go, okay, I think I can put words to this. Like you, you kind of, that there's your story. And it's kind of this, you know, it's this kind of almost sideways way of, you know, of writing. And, mm -hmm. and I, and I did it and I did it. And I remember when, but the funny thing is like my first story that I got paid for, I just knew that I had to write a script. So I sat down and I wrote a script. So it was Not for it was, yourself. No, it wasn't for me. This was, this was, this was for Marvel. And it was just one of those kinds of things, but I didn't do my synopsis was in my head. I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to have put it down on paper and look at it and kind of revise it. I just had the idea and I kind of blobbed it out. But that I think the synopsis is so powerful because it's so short and it allows you to make huge changes with two or three words, which isn't a script. You can, you can get a lot of heavy lifting done by how you organize your, your sentences and you put those things together to tell that story in, you know, whatever, two to three paragraph, you know, two to three you know sentences or a paragraph. And I, I love that. You know, I love, I love crafting a story from that, you know, maybe making a log line, you know, what's this about? You know, mm -hmm. like sort of like, you know, if you were a, um, a journalist and you, you, you were assigned Hey, chief, I got an idea for a story. Well, what's it all about? You know, and you need to say what it is in that one shot in that very short little log line. And I think that's a great way to kind of tackle stories because it allows you to not get bogged down with details. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to know, like, I don't, um, I don't like thinking about like themes, like in the like, upper no. case, you know, like don't, ever. Don't break yourself in themes. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, um, I do go into like, if I'm asked to write a, a thing, like mm -hmm. I go into it thinking like, um, what, like, what do I want this to be about? Like, what are the couple of things could be just one thing that I want this story to be about? Like what, what do I want to accomplish with this? And usually it's just like, I want, you know, I'd like this story to at least end with this character having this realization about themselves or something right mm -hmm. like that's that's it like if i accomplish that one thing um then i think that that issue is a relative success you know? right. like if i can just get that stuff across well, and that's really my only like that's just my north star like is it yeah. is like i'm writing these scenes and is it is it about this character getting to this point if if yes then 
we're still okay. <laughs> they continue not, on. Like, I'm on a tangent somewhere. You know? <laughs> Go back to page one. Um, yeah. No, and that's, you know, and the thing is, is that like, if you do it like that, you know, going back to the, what you, you said earlier about, you know, telling a story, you were successful. Do you, you know what I mean? Like you, you've succeeded in doing your job. If you have this thing written down saying, this is what I want this to end, how I want it to end. And this is what I want to have happen. And you can get there through your narrative and on the page. Well, then you've done your job. Like it's, it's there. Um, how did the, so how did that go for you? You, you know, you said you, you didn't, I guess you didn't have to write a script for yourself, but you did. And what was that? What was that like? Did you sit down blank page approach or did you sketch or how did you go about it? No, it was, I, I was asked to, um, write, uh, I was asked to, to write and draw a three part, um, story, like a thing for this, upcut, like this, uh, Brave and the Bold series. And my editor specifically asked, uh, if I would do, um, cause I had done these short stories with Batman and Maps Wizaguchi from the Gotham Academy series. Um, as Rob, what I did just as a lark, I just put her in as Robin in one of these black and white stories, which was a really fun mm-hmm. thing to do. Um, and then the, the next one, uh, he asked me for more of that kind of stuff. And so I did uh, a three part backup story in Batman, which, which I, uh, which I was happy with. And now I'm doing this thing. And so each one is progressively longer. Like I started with an eight page story and then I did three, eight page stories and now I'm doing three 22 page right on. issues. So they're, they're getting, they're getting bigger. And I feel like it was a, it was a nice way to, for me to just kind of psychologically ramp up to being able to expand these things into, into that size. turns out it's not that difficult. There's all this sprawl, right? But, yeah. um, but in this case, I was, I was asked to do this, thing and so i uh i i just thought about it for a while and i sent in like um i just basically wrote down a bunch of like ideas of things that i would i think would be fun little stories and subjects mm-hmm. and then and then i sent in um like a few paragraphs of synopsis of what i wanted to do and uh, uh i had a talk with my editor and he was he was cool with it he had a couple of questions and then once it was approved i just i thought i, I could have started drawing it just from that okay. nice um but but it was you know just because I you know I wrote them I knew what I had intended but um, I thought um, I would like to at least go through the motions of writing a full script um, just in case like what it, I, I kind of thought like I'd like to write this as though someone else was going to draw it it's just the to best give way to do it just, yeah just to put myself through the paces of of doing it and also maybe someone else was going to draw it I don't know who knows what's going to happen um, <laughs> so. Uh, so I wrote, uh, you know, I've written so far, I've written a complete script for the first of these three issues. And uh, it was a really cool experience. It was, you know, I had my, I had my synopsis to go by. And what I did was I took the synopsis and basically chunked it into like, I'd say like, uh, this scene, I think is about three pages. This scene's I think about two pages. And then just so I had the right number of pages. And then um, I just went from there and, and uh, sometimes the synopsis had like little bits of sample dialogue that I, that occurred to me as I was writing. Um, but largely it was just filling out the scenes, like filling out the structure, the skeleton I, I, um, I, I built. And, um, and then as you know, like the, all these happy accidents occur when you're, you know, when you're actually creating a proper setting, um, then you've got all, you know, all these other 
characters and bits of you know business that occur and like, bits of dialogue that branch off into other interesting directions. And um, and I think that's where the real fun is mm-hmm. for me. You know, I, I like scripting that stuff because I think it's I think that's where the characters come to life. Yeah. And then you then when you're drawing it, you really know like there's no question about like what is the emotional thrust of the scene, like what expression should this person have, uh, and and also like not to you know not to overlook like like how much space do I need in this panel for word balloons, which is sure. something that I never really gave much thought to before. I mean, I would try to vaguely leave space for, for totally. writing but like yeah but now like i'm i'm forced with like whatever i've written on the page like i know like, this has got to fit here and this is how it's paced so i really enjoyed the process i i'm looking forward to fully scripting the next couple of issues yeah it's it's where as i said before i think it's where i find the most joy and like like after that script was done i was like okay well <laughs> no, no, just like the slog of drawing this oh, I gotta, thing. oh man, I got to draw this now. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, it's, you know, so th- that's the, you know, what you're touching on is the real interesting part about writing versus drawing because the, 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 when you were sitting there with words, you know, and your fingers on a screen or on paper, these, as you said, the happy accidents, they happen. Like this, this context of the environment the things in it, they all interact like some sort of chemistry experiment. And you have these things happen where the character comes up with an idea for you while you're putting it down, which solves the problem in either a unique way that you didn't see coming or a far more exciting fashion. And you're able to go, oh, oh, okay, cool. Let me, let me follow this lead versus if you had to draw this all out and then put a script to it, you would be really tied to whatever you drew. And mm-hmm. this allows you to kind of make these story changes at a far faster rate, um, you know, backspace. Okay. We'll change that. Um, and that, I think that's, that's, it is exciting. It's really bloody exciting. I mean, drawing is exciting too, but you have to kind of wait for the, uh, the delivery vehicle um, mm-hmm. while writing even though you have to go back and fix things up you know because maybe your your grammar's not there or whatever the thing is and you have to go back and script it you know to cut down on language but the story part of it happens at a much quicker pace yeah plus like I, like i there's something part of me just loves the 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 format of a screenplay like mm-hmm. i just I just like chunk, like you know, writing and I like reading them. I like yeah. reading screenplays or comic book scripts, and I like writing in that format where like I'm doing a chunk of description, mm-hmm. character dialogue, character dialogue, blah blah blah. I just like I, I just find it a, a very natural, pleasurable way to write and read. It was you know writing you know writing comic book stories. <sighs> You know, I mean, I was a terrible student in school when they would, hey, here's your English assignment and make an outline. And I, I, I mean, I was horrible at making outlines, but I, comic books were a great, great, uh, a great way to figure that out mm-hmm. because it, it's so beat oriented. It's just action, 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 action. And, and you just, you can log line these things one after another, after another, after another to get what you think the, the form of the story is. And you can kind of then grab these things, say, yeah, that seems to be about like how long I want to have this dialogue scene happen or this action scene or whatever these elements are. 
And then you can say, okay, well, I need to stretch this because I have 22 pages versus 12 pages. So mm-hmm. you can kind of, you know, fill out more things, make characters have more moments. And, but it's a, it's a great way to learn how to structure, you know, like you're saying with, with a screenplay, how do you structure? You can yeah. beat these things out. It's really, I, I think it, you're given a lot of uh, help in that regard, in that capacity, like um, by the medium and the genre, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like I know I have this many pages and I'm, I am writing a superhero story. So like, I'm writing a Batman story. So if, if like, I better get to some Batman stuff, right. soon, like, like I, I just, I laugh with this with my wife all the time because she's like, <laughs> I just tell her like, well, I, you know, I got to do a, I got to have Batman punch someone here. He's like, <laughs> why? It's like, well, if I'm not, if Batman's not punching, if he's not solving a crime or punching someone in here, uh, right. like at, for at least a third of this issue, then then it's not a Batman comic. Like, it's am a I Bruce doing? Wayne story. Yeah, yeah, which actually this is this is very much a Bruce Wayne story, but there that I'm, that I'm doing. But there is a you know there's still you still got to have a bunch of Batman stuff in there. Totally. Um, and that's like that's helpful. Like yeah. you know, like I could really go off <laughs> in all kinds of directions, but uh, you know, you've got to remember what you're doing here. Like, right. like I'm I'm writing a Batman story. Like I got to get back to like. That's enough of these people talking. As interesting as it may be, something's going to happen. <laughs> Bruce is going to put on a suit and punch somebody. Right. The, the yeah. drum solo can only last so long. We've yeah. got to get back to the lead singer. You know, like yeah. it, it's, like it yeah. sounds so stupid to, 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 to kind of verbalize it that way. But it's really, it does come down to that all the time. Well, because, because when you're playing with other people's toys, you have to, you have to respect what that toy is. You can't mm-hmm. just ignore the toy. I mean, unless you've pitched the story like, Hey, this is all about the guy who comes in with a blind or blind auto mechanic who fixes the Batmobile for Bruce Wayne, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. that's a cool story. We'll, we'll, we'll watch that whole thing and we'll see what you know, happens in the background of this one. Um, but it is Batman and people want to see the Cape Crusader do his thing. I learned that or like, as I was saying, just hanging out with Brendan and talking about, it was like, I don't know. Like I was probably like eighteen or nineteen, where where, where like where it, it it just hit me like a, we've been talking about it. It just hit me like like a, like a lightning bolt that like like hey like your your title is everything. Like if your story's not what your title is, then then you know then it's it is wrong. Like yeah. it, like this this thing has to be if it's called you know if it's called Batman, then you're running a batman thing like the, it's it's again like so so elementary but like mm-hmm. but it can go so wrong people go so far afield and and not right to what the actual material is it's well it's it's genre like if you think about mm-hmm. it you know like people who buy romance novels or mystery novels or fantasy novels there are expectations that that are baked into that system now if you want to subvert that great fantastic all all for you but the thing is is that you bet you better be better than everybody else if you're going to subvert because the expectations sit there and Mm -hmm. the same happened with comic books and the difference between i mean the the various differences are a you know romance novel has a page count but it's not like a 22 page count like the the comic book page count the retail space of pages 
really force stories to have specific rhythms. You can't, you know, you like you can't have that long conversation in the middle of the book. People are gonna be like, well, what's going on here? Let me just, let me get back to Batman, flip a few pages, and keep going. Um, cool. And those those are that. I mean, and so when you say the title, that's super like super important. Um, when did you? So when did you and Brendan link up? Uh, grade six, okay. I think we were like 10 years old or something like that. And then yeah. we, we bonded over just like Star Wars and G.I. Joe and Transformers and, and, uh, and mostly Robotech, uh, Macross. Dude. Robotech tech. That's my, that's my whole jam. That's the only thing I'm, I'm like, actually like a, I, w- I would say I'm actually a fan of, like, okay. I love a lot of things, but like, but Macross stuff, I'll just buy, like, you know, I'm just like a total nerd for all right, so then the answer to this is most likely a yes. But in Death Transit, you have her pull out her gun on her mm-hmm. on her leg, mm-hmm. and it flips around, and it became it becomes the blasters very similar to the second series of Robotech when they had the motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah, it's a third series. It's like, like Listen. that blaster is like the blaster and her armor are very, very, yeah. very, yeah, yeah. Like right? Because that's the that, that's the uh, the enemy's armor kind of look like. I think they had like didn't the enemy have armor that looked like that? The her armor, uh, Tanager's armor is basically a mashup of like like uh, the Samus Metroid armor and mm-hmm. the uh, and the, and the motors transforming motorcycle motorcycle. Armor. Yeah. From the, the third arc of Robotech. So, like, like down to, like, I've got a bunch of those, I don't know if I have stuff here, but like, uh, I have a bunch of the toys that uh, I just look at constantly, and I always uh-huh. love that design. So, I, yeah, I, it's like, it's totally that. Okay, cool. Well, that blaster got me into art school. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was. Uh, uh, it's one of the few blasters that are like, it's like basically like a one, you know, it's like a single piece, like triangulating. Um, the other, the other one I really liked were the, I don't know if you remember these, but like the blasters from Disney's Black Hole movie. Oh, of course. Yeah. Were super cool. Like it was like, it was like a handle with just the, two. The prongs. Yeah. Two prongs off yeah. of it, which, which I was, that was super cool. Yeah. But go on, go on. Oh, go no. to so I was, as a <laughs> aforementioned, terrible student and I had, um, had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I went, I went to a local college for a year, spinning my heels, kind of doing nothing, getting good grades, but not doing a thing. And my mom, like the summer after that first year of college goes, so what are you going to do? Or what do you want to do? Like, and I was like, Oh, um, (laughs) okay. So I said, I wanted to draw comics and she's like, all right. So she set up a couple of meetings, um, one at SVA and one at the Kubert school. And they're like, well, we want to see a portfolio. I'm like, oh God, so I got to put together a portfolio. Well, I had built a full, a full scale model of that blaster by hand. So this is 1986. I built that. And just for, just for blast, like you just, you just like the blaster. I like the design of the blaster. So I drew it out and I did a uh, blueprint drawing of it. Then I built, um, all the pieces out of cardboard. I made all the the flat pieces and I happened to be smart enough to make two sets. So I built one, had the flats and I had the actual blueprints and the, and then I had a sketch. So that was one of my portfolio pieces was having this sort of 
procedural taking from a drawing and turning it into a dimensional piece. And they were very happy to see something like that. I think that did show that I could think more so than just sketch. Um, So thank you, Macros. Yeah, cool. That's great. That was, it was, I I don't have it. I've long lost it. I had the little, I had the little character of the motorcycle armor. Character is a great piece of plastic, single cast. That came with some other. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I, I had like I don't know if you remember like the the um, we could go down a pretty deep rabbit hole of Robotech stuff, but but um, but at at one time when the show was kind of popular in syndication, um, the Matchbox did a line of toys. Oh cool! Were, uh, they were action figures. I have a whole bunch of those. They were terrible. <laughs> they were they were really shitty toys, but I had a lot of them, and so. I could, you know, like turn them around and look at properly at what the yeah. That and Robotech Art One, yeah, was this was my Bible uh, growing up for like just how to draw. Like it was just like this. This had like not only was this uh, um, sort of synopsis of every episode, but at the back they had like this page. This page is creased because this guy is my favorite character. Yeah, but like yeah, all of these original like. Mikimoto character sketches and all like all the all the mech and stuff like that. Like I just had never seen this. I picked this mm-hmm. up at the Silver Snail Comic Store in Toronto, and it was just by my side for a year. Still is. In fact. I went to so I went to a so comic conventions are different in the eighties, but Creation I think was the people who, they ran the comic conventions in New York, and I went there. Took the trains into New York City. I think it was like a junior, a sophomore, or junior in high school. And I went in and I've, I've got my hands on all this cool map because it was, you know, it was all the macro stuff. So it was all the Japanese things. So it was, I had the, like the actual die cast models from Japan from, was it Bandai did them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got my hand on that's very similar. The big ones, like the big transforming was, no, ones? It, so I got, I had a big one and then I, then they had a, a fully articulated, but plastic one. It was kind of like this light brown, um, Valkyrie, you know, mm-hmm. model. And they, um, and then I got that macros book similar to what you have, but it was macros. It wasn't Robotech and it was all in Japanese, so I couldn't read it. And then I got a, um, it was a model book by the, the model company and they put out these diorama and kit pictures so they would advertise the kit with a fully built painted piece in a diorama and it was i don't know like a 50 60 page book with all these different mechs it was just mm-hmm. mind-blowing exciting mm-hmm. yeah i bet like we didn't get a lot of the like imported stuff so um but like later on i ended up finding that stuff and then um uh, when I visited Japan, I just went hog wild. How about that? <laughs> buying like model kits and books and all that stuff. I might have the, um, I don't have it here, but I think I might have the Macross book you're talking about. Okay. It's yeah. Like, it's, a, it was white yeah. with blue, like mostly blue elements on the cover. Yeah. I think it's called Macross Perfect Memory or something. That's like it. That. It's, That's yeah, the yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It was, I mean, it was a good time. And I, you know, when I went to art school in New York, it was great because there's a bunch of Japanese bookstores. So you could go there and get the actual manga from Japan in the f- sort of large format. So that's how I got Appleseed and all those kind of books. Mm-hmm. They were uh, hugely inspirational. I never drew like that, but I was just so into, I think I was into the subject matter 
in the detail. Like those are the kind of things that I really kind of pulled from it. Cool. It, it in particular was like that series was um, sort of like a little more emotionally sophisticated than other cartoons I was yeah. watching, which, which I think is what really hooked me on it is that it had all these complicated like love triangles and deeper deeper themes in it and uh i i really super connected with it and it like uh, it's sort of the like it's it's kind of nuanced storytelling i don't even know if it is anymore maybe, maybe it's like well it seemed like it's not yeah at the time anyway like really informed a lot of my tastes and how i approached story uh, like between that and then all of the ghibli stuff that i saw later on mm-hmm. uh really informed how i approached um storytelling especially in terms of like uh pacing yeah it really it really allowed me freed me up to pace things the way i wanted to and now i'm like now i'm kind of like (sighs) turning around on all that stuff like i just have different um not i I wouldn't say i'm conflicted but i'm just exploring different ways of i'm reading a lot of older comics now like a lot of older american comics from like the 60s and 70s and -hmm. stuff and and especially, I think this is a result of writing my own stuff. Like, I think I was always very, like, I, I kind of came into comics with, like, the, uh, I, I, w- I was reading comics when I was younger, but, like, I didn't start thinking about comics as a career until, like, 89, 90. Okay. And, like, you know, when all the image guys, like, before image was formed, but when they were blowing But they were still at Marvel doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but when, when you know, when that t- kind of drawing and that kind of page layout were, were really popular. And so, um, I, I approached the, the creation of comics from sort of that perspective for a long time. Like just the idea of like creating a, a an interesting looking page layout and like having like a focal point of the page and just doing just like having interesting shapes and basically just, just focusing on it visually. Mm-hmm. But, um, but then when I started writing my own comics, um, I began to appreciate, um, I guess just like, I don't know how to put it other than like, well, economy. And, and also like I had a sense of, of value, you know, like, 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 cover price to content value right which i never had before like sure. i never even considered it but then then i started thinking well i, I really like i want because you're i'm writing a story and i want there to be i want a fulfilling story yeah and this thing i'm doing whether it's eight pages or 16 pages or whatever um and it really got me thinking about uh like comics decompression and pacing in a way mm-hmm. that i hadn't before like if you look at like like Isola, which Brendan and I did uh, at Image, is like super slow paced. Like there's a lot going on emotionally, but it's very, you know, like not a lot of plot happens from issue to issue. It's like a very character driven kind of like plotting sort of thing. But but when I'm working by myself and I'm writing, um, I feel like I just want to cram everything in there. And it's not because I want you know, it's not like a matter of showing off or wanting to like, you know, wanting the reader to see everything. It's just, I want, I want like, you know, I want someone to pay their whatever the hell it is now for 99 
for for their comic and like have a whole story there. Yeah. You know, I'm super conscious of it. So Mm -hmm. now when I'm writing for myself, I'm writing like, I'm writing really dense pages and I'm thinking about page much differently than I used to in that that's, I don't so much care that there's like a visual focal point or something bombastic on the page. I just want, I just want to get through a scene in the most interesting way possible and to fill it with, you know, with um, not necessarily fill it with text, but fill it with content. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. And, and it really just sort of has, has like messed with my brain. Like it just like the way I, I, I think about like, I'm a little at odds with myself because on, on some level um, I'm drawing the pages I've written and I'm like, oh man, like, is this a boring page? Like, I don't know. Like, is this a visually boring page? Like it's getting, it's, it becomes more clinical somehow. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same, like a, abandoned, abandonment. You know, like, sure. Like it's a, it's a, it feels like a different thing. Like I'm just more um, concerned with, uh, with giving people a good story than I am with impressing anyone with art. And like, maybe that's, I think there's a middle ground there and I don't know if I've I, I know it. I agree. I agree. And I think this, that's where like a lot of artists who write sort of end up landing on creators like Alex Toth mm-hmm. and David Mazzucchelli. And you start looking at these people who are not telling bombastic stories visually, and they're telling they're telling dense, focused pages, and they're not boring. Like there's yeah. nothing visually boring about them because yeah. they are thinking about how this is this is done. You know, it makes me think of this precursor to the Nam comic that um, Larry. Uh, no, no, not Larry Hama. Um, Oh, wow, I'm blanking on the writer. Anyway, it'll come to me. Um, and Michael Golden did this short thing in, Sa- in Savage Tales. And there's this scene of the team sitting in the grass in Vietnam waiting for helicopters to pick them up. And it's all told with them, them in the same positions. And if you, wherever the camera goes, you can see the people and the trees and the elements in the background are all exactly as they were in the setting, in, in this, you know, the initial shot. So it's this really kind of interesting way of telling a story that you are getting these sort of like frozen moments in time and it's all very visually exciting, but nothing's happening. It's it's characters being with themselves for a moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like I, I I think that's, that was my, that was my standard gear for most of my career, like whenever possible. But now I feel like for, for example, like I just like, I'm totally rethinking like mid page scene transitions now, which is something like mm. I would never, like I would have like scoffed at right. a couple right. of years ago. Like, but like, you know, I read these old comics and like, well, now we're just changing scenes in the middle of this page. We're just yeah. going to this, this other place in the middle of a page as a panel with a new location. And, you know, like the sort of common, like, style is to is to you know you're, you're going to end your page with that scene and you're going to start your next scene on the right. next page but now i don't know maybe <laughs> why not like it's like a commercial break you know like the page turn is the commercial break yeah it's and, very obvious it's a very clear way to course. do things but but now but like i feel like maybe it's like uh maybe it's more interesting than not do that like, so listen kind of like, we all love star wars and it has it has just a straight across wipe Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're in a different scene. Now we're here, yeah. Like we're not. They don't have to. They don't have to worry about page turns. You know, like you no. could do that. 
But you're not getting. But what you're not doing is you're not seeing people hopping into a spaceship or a vehicle and then taking off, and then next scene they're pull, they're pulling in. Like it's just let's do a wipe. Yeah, we're just going to go. That, right that took a long time to learn too. Like the idea that you could like when you're writing, I tend to, you know you write in this very linear way, or at least mm-hmm. I do. Like and like and you're thinking, oh, okay, I've got to get these people from point A to point B, and we should probably see how that happens. But no, no, <laughs> just like just cut to. Yeah, you got to th- three days later if you want yeah. to. Yeah. As long as as long as you don't lose the opportunity to advance your story, mm-hmm. then you don't need it. If you yeah. can't, if you can, if you can say like, listen, I don't need to have this. Yes, you're you're creative and you're going to come up with some interesting stuff. You might come up with some good jokes. You might come up with a whole bunch of behaviors, but unless those behaviors, story, and elements and jokes have a payoff in the long term of the story, you don't need them. Mm-hmm. And in comics, it takes some it takes some brain rewiring, I think, yeah. to to learn that that you can do that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an obvious thing. Just like just like prior to, you know, like uh, you know, it wasn't an obvious thing to do to do, you know, watch Pulp Fiction and have their minds blown. But like, you know, like doing those those yep. kinds of, you know, like um nonlinear cuts between different scenes it's just yeah it's just such an obvious thing it's just a language that everyone's learned you know that's probably an advanced form of the language but yeah it's a and it's it's important because you don't need he really recognized you don't need to hand this thing into one two three four five like you don't film films that way so why should we cut films that way like Mm. it's it's kind of clever did you have you seen oppenheimer yet no okay well then we won't go into that but you know, I think one thing that Nolan really does is he, I think if I could say he has one sort of move is his obsession with time. Like time is the element in in his films. If you think about it, memento, it, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole time sequence in that, uh, the Batman movie with the Joker, like everything is very time structured and Oppenheimer has a very interesting play on time as well. So. I think he's like telling three or four story timelines, you know, at the same time. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's, looks great. You know, um, I'd like to read the screenplay and see how, it, how it matches up against what the film. Yeah. I, I you know, it's, uh, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. It'd be, um, probably illuminating. Hey, Gabriel, if you're listening, <laughs> I want that screenplay. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, you mentioned something about the Marvel style of script writing and, and I, and, and what you just said made me think about it a little deeper in this, in the story and like what's valuable and what's not valuable. Like I, I don't need to show them going from point A to point B. And I think that Marvel style of writing actually is very helpful in that respect because you're really just giving the meat and not so much bread for that, for that, for that meal. And, you know, I remember the most sort of vivid example of a Marvel style script because the ones I got were mostly, um, a page, like it would be like page, page one. And it would have a whole bunch of like, just actions. Here's what's happens on this page. Rarely was it broken down into panels. It was just like, here's what's happening on the page. And then it would be page four through seven. 
and it would be a bunch of stuff. And then it was like my job to kind of take a pencil and say, well, that seems like a page and this seems like a page and then kind of figure it out. But we got our hands on um, John Burns script for um, John Romita Jr. doing Iron Man back in like oh. 1990. And man, it was like three paragraphs. Maybe it was a page. I don't know. But it was it was so short for a whole entire issue. It was just paragraphs. Chunk. Body copy. I'd love to see that. I, I know that um, I, I, I get, I, I wonder if Byrne was writing like that. He probably wrote like that for himself. Um, mm-hmm. But I wonder if he wrote like that for everyone because I, on so, like part of me thinks that people just wrote like that for Ramita Jr. Because I feel like he was always getting scripts <laughs> like that where he was, you know, he'd just get like a synopsis, like not even page beats mm-hmm. and, uh, and have to, well, we we, that's, we surmised it was just him because we we're like, well, he's so good, he doesn't need all the stuff that we need. That was our sort of our you know our art college mentality. We didn't know any better, but um, yeah, I mean, I I would you know I guess you know my question would be like to you know to Anne Nascenti, like, did you write? Is that how you wrote your scripts for Daredevil for him? It'd be interesting to find out how everyone did them, or did they have their own way of doing it? But I think I got, speaking of that, like, I think when I first was in touch with Marvel, when I was much younger, like when I was just first sending in samples, like one of the guys there was cool enough to, um, set, and this was before I even had proper samples. Like I just, I, I happened, like I, I had a friend who worked at a video store and I had drawn something on like the dry erase board at this video store. And, and my friend called me like the next day and said, Hey, this guy, just saw your, your drawing and uh, his cousin works for, is the art director at Marvel comics. And he wants to know if you want to get in touch. And I was like, <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I grew up like in this, like, like rural, like a pretty small town. So that wow. was a weird, weird thing. But my point was, was going to be that um, I did get in touch with that guy. I visited the offices before I had anything to show. Like I was just like a super green mm-hmm. kid. And he was cool enough to give me some scripts to practice on, and one of them I think was one of the like one of the Anasenti Daredevil scripts that Ramita Jr. drew because I remember looking at the issue later, and it was like you know it was I don't think it was super uh, detailed I think it was okay. a, a fairly loose breakdown which I think is what got my mind thinking that Ramita Jr. just always worked from <laughs> from like Marvel style scripts it could be and I mean and also like we're also over looking you know what you mentioned earlier about the idea of like those long phone calls and mm-hmm. you know kind of back you know back and forth and back and forth and there's you know why wouldn't burn and ramita have those calls why wouldn't you know you know john and and annie have those calls like that seems mm-hmm. to be a legitimate thing like hey let's figure out well, what do we want to do this year uh, how do we want because these they weren't doing issues they were yeah. doing years of these comic books do you know that like I this blew my mind like what I just I just realized because um, I've been going through like lots of old Burn Claremont X Men comics lately and uh, and Days of Future Past is it's a two issue story yeah yeah that that just blew my mind like the the idea that that came out and like if someone were to write that now it would be like it would be a the annual event thing. yeah it was it was two issues, two issues. <laughs> like. Incredible. Speaking of just economy, 
Oh, completely. I mean, you know, listen, it is an era of there were a lot, there was a lot more in the terms of uh, narrative dialogue and thought balloons and verbose dialogue balloons. So Mm -hmm. they were getting a lot in those issues on top of the artwork. Um, But I, you know, the the older I get and the more I talk about it, I, Chris's Herculean efforts on that title for three decades, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's goat territory. You know, it's the Mm -hmm. kind of thing that like, you just, this is not, this can't be duplicated. I mean, I know Eric Larson's been writing his comic book for a long time. And I know there are other people doing these things for a very, very long time, but they're doing it for themselves. They're Mm -hmm. not, they're not servicing somebody else's property and not managing how many creators over the course of that time? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I've become really nostalgic for, I don't know if it's nostalgia. It's maybe it's not nostalgia. I think it's more of like a renewed appreciation for the way that uh, those stories were put together mm-hmm. at the time. Cause I've been like, when I, when I go to a comic store, uh, I, there was a, a long stretch where I didn't really go to comic stores at all. Now I kind of get really psyched about, seeking them out uh wherever like especially in like small towns and things because like i don't yeah. really care about what's on the new release shelf i just go straight to the bins and start digging around for interesting things because like the stuff used to be that you know like you know like you you wouldn't want to drop five dollars on an issue in a you know, package you've been well, well it's too expensive but now like the back issue stuff is the same price or cheaper than <laughs> and what's on the stand so like if i'm gonna buy some i'm just gonna go to the classics and totally. like buy all that stuff if i'm gonna spend 10 bucks an issue on something i'll just go buy like old you know like old classic x-men issues. yeah absolutely and you, you you know i mean who knows man you could pick up a whole bunch of issues of chris star the crystal warrior and read yeah. those and come up with an idea then like get your hands on that license and do a thing, you know? Like, yeah. And that's all Andy and I do now. It's like, we just go and buy old cut. Like we've got stacks of all these old cut, like I've got all these old ROM space night comics yeah. here. Look at this. This is like, we just brought this, but I don't even know, like I've never read this, but look at this Luke cover. Cage. Yeah. Luke Cage power, man. That's 19, such a great cover. That's like 1975. Yep, probably something like that. Yeah. It's issue 33 of Luke Cage power. Anyway, we yeah. just have a ton of this stuff around now because it's like, you know, two dollars, five dollars. It's like cheaper than buying whatever. Right, and there's like like three times the amount of story. In it. Sure, Don McGregor wrote it. There's three times the amount of the story in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, but but I mean that does kind of go back to what you're saying. And I wanted to ask you when you said about servicing the reader, you know, and and putting a lot into the into the comic book to make it a satisfying thing. Do you think that's a a reaction to doing these smaller story story runs so to speak you know like say for dc versus hey carl you're going to be writing you know a batman title or any title for the next year or two like here's a contract for two years of writing do you think you would reframe your storytelling approach to be able to kind of break things up into like bigger chunks and move you know and spread it out over time yeah that's a really good question um because certainly, yeah, when you're given smaller jobs, you want to, you know, you want to take every opportunity to mm-hmm. knock it out of the park and make it make it worthwhile. Uh, yeah, if, if I had the space to um, pace something over a year, I don't know. I think I'd still try to be 
as pretty dense with it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Like 20, 22 pages, whatever, 20 or 22 pages goes by so quickly. It's hard to, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to write for that. But, but um, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think I would, I would, uh, I would like to have each issue kind of as self-contained mm-hmm. as possible. Um, but part of, part of that pacing might have just come from the fact that people, you know, like maybe they had longer stories to tell, but also like it was just easier to stretch one idea out over three issues. Than, oh, for sure. Come, come up with a new thing every, every issue, especially yeah. if you're doing a character like Batman that's been like written to death. Like I just, there's only like kind of are struggling to come up with new things to do. There's, yeah. And I think that, I mean, and listen, I think, you know, if you are, you know, professional comic book writer, you have to find ways to like, you can't sit and face every issue as a single issue. You can't just like, okay, got to have original 12 original ideas this year. You go crazy. I mean, you might, you might do it. I mean, you might, you know, you might do an incredible 12 issue run of something. Sure. But it'd be exhausting. Yeah. You might have to take (laughs) six years off to get back into, back into mental space for it. But you know, so I think the idea of like, okay, here's an idea. How far can I stretch this idea? Three issues. Cool. Oh, this one can go six. Okay. Like, I mean, you can find, you know, how much, meat you can find on the bone for those kinds of things and did miller ever do standalone issues of daredevil in his run or were they all kind i of think he had to have had i mean i think he had had to have because i mean the way because i mean they had to have protected themselves on the on the on the you know on the schedule there had to be ways to save that and there are issues i think there are gaps in his run where he may not have been drawing the whole time Um, but he had, listen, he had a great partner in Klaus who really, really could in, you know, interpret what Frank needed with far, far less work on Frank's end. Mm -hmm. It was mostly like choreography, really. Like if you, if you see Frank's pencils on a lot of that, especially the later Daredevil stuff, it it just looks like, like, uh, Klaus did a lot of heavy lifting there. Like all the story beats were there and, Mm -hmm. and amazing. But um, so much of it is just uh, the finishes. Yeah. And I think Klaus was probably credited as finisher, I think probably somewhere in the three quarter run of that, of his, his their time together. Mm-hmm. I got, I, I, I was, I was, a, I was his assistant for like a hot minute. <laughs> and, um, and he, so, you know, I think I, the reason being is I just kept asking him questions about all the stuff in his flat files. So, um, but he was great and he pulled out everything and, Daredevil pages and Dark Knight pages and all that stuff. And it was just like, I love his work that he just does on his own. Like, yeah. I think, I think Jansen's amazing. Like I found some old Punisher issues he had done. Yep. Just, he might've written them too. I can't remember. His um, coloring dude. I think, I think he's one of the greatest colorists. His, his palette is unlike anybody else's and it's beautiful. It's not this crazy bold, you know, colors like you're seeing on the screen now. I mean, it's really, cool subtle and thoughtful and we're talking old school dr martin dye coloring not fancy dancy colors now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um we, we, we were we were we were in interesting interesting territory for a second um so we were talking about the ru- the runs of 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 doing things and do you i mean do you have like as you said earlier about like writing a script in the case of somebody else who would, would uh, you know, draw it. 
Do you mm-hmm. think about that in the terms of like you would like to draw write something for someone to draw? Uh, yes, I would theoretically because like part of my brain is really resistant to it, even though I know there mm-hmm. are, there are people like the the you know I know it's a collaborative medium and everything, but like I I've, I've gotten so used to just doing things um, myself that it's hard to uh, relinquish. Yeah. It's just hard, hard to trust people like mm-hmm. that. You don't like it, you know, um, I'm sure like, I think that's really, uh, that's kind of narrow minded thinking on my part. No, no, no. I, I I'm aware of it it's like, because, because yeah, totally it is. But, but like, I, I also completely get that, like that, that collaborative process means you could end up with some really amazing yeah. <laughs> work. Right. You know, um, it's just, it's just scary. So, but uh, if given the opportunity, I would like to do that. I was, I was gonna, I was thinking of, um, I have ideas for things that I've written synopses for that I think would be fun to do independently, like to self-publish or to Kickstarter or something like that. That, that um, I just don't have time for all that stuff, you know. Like, and it would be, it'd be. Sometimes I'll, I'll have other people specifically in mind for these things as I'm thinking about them. It would mm-hmm. be interesting to do some. Kind of main like writing for some mainstream characters that I that I didn't have to draw. Yeah, um, I don't know if that'll happen. I think it could. Like, I don't think there's any reason it couldn't. You know, listen, they 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 the way the system is set up, it seems to me, is that they're not putting on artists on books for one year, two year stints. Like they break these things up into shorter chunks, and they give them longer times to get the bait, the work done. So it kind of feels like that there's a lot more gap time with uh-huh. you know with books and when you have a transition between you know one one creative team to another if a, if a writer's leaving there's a great opportunity you know for those sort of single issues to come out and uh you know if you want to do that sort of because listen i love man i love a single issue i love the idea like you know if someone said hey write what you you know like make your own design of what you'd want to do in comic books like one of the things i would love to do is just do standalone single issues for a bunch of different titles because oh. those are the things that live in my heart so vividly they're the things that as a collector like a long time ago would would kind of frustrate me but then every once in a while you get uh you know if you're following a, a series for especially if you're following it for a specific artist or writer and then they were gone for that issue mm-hmm. it was frustrating but <laughs> also um so many you know, I've, I've discovered so many you know, amazing artists through those big filling issues that um, it's hard to deny. You know, like it, when when you see people get that like one issue chance to do something and they just kill it. Yeah, it's the opening. Remember, day. Like, Glenn the... Dillon was was one. Uh, oh yeah. Like I remember reading Shade the Changing Man, and uh, I loved um, Chris Pachalo's work on it. Oh yeah. And then like I think. Um, Glenn Dillon came on for like an issue filling and it just blew my mind. And he's just been one of my favorite guys ever since. Not enough Glenn Dillon comics in the world. His, his graphic novel that he did uh, a few years ago is still one of my favorite things. I recommend it to everybody. Yeah. It's called, it's called the now of Brown. It's really great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the, yeah, I mean, it's they're the opening, opening acts of concerts and mm-hmm. not enough attention is paid to them, but you know, Every big band was an opening act. And if you, if you get lucky, you get to see one that just blows your mind. And you're like, whoa, I've got a new thing. 
Um, how do you, so like with your stories, you know, you said your, you know, your mind is sort of preoccupied with ideas of stories. And when you're working on a story, you're, what is your, what is your collection method? And what's your, what, what is your sort of, uh, scheduling method? Like, how do you like say like, when am I going to pay attention to this? Um, I'm, it's hard. I'm getting a little better at it because I, I would just keep piling stuff onto my plate, um, between like the, the web comic and the Kickstarter stuff and the like actual work for hire stuff. Um, I kind of, I kind of always thought I had more time than I really did to, to, you know, you can, you, you can sort of justify juggling all these things by saying like, okay, I'll work on this on Monday and I'll work on this on Tuesday and Wednesday and, and try to break it up. But it never quite works out for me that way. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I recently started, um, I just think being more realistic about the amount of time I have and, uh, and chunking things into, actually, I got my wife to help me. She, uh, cause I was panicking one day. Uh, I said, I just don't know, like, how like I've got too much. I need a project manager, basically. Right. And so she, uh, and I'm terrible at, at just time management. Um, and so she helped me. Like she, uh, we made a chart. Sat down with a, some couple beers in the kitchen, and uh, she made a spreadsheet for me. And it just basically like just lists all the different things I'm working on or want to be working on, mm -hmm. and like how much time I have to do uh, each and like which ones have strict deadlines. How much I have to each one I have to I have to work on. So it helped me to. Um, to just wake up in the morning, not feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. So, so I wake up and I'm like, here's what I'm working on today. And then just not think about anything else. Cause that's where I, I fall apart. It's like so I, nice. It's so nice to know what you have to do rather than that, that panicky feeling of, Oh, okay. This is in front of me. Take care of this thing. And then you're like, mm -hmm. Oh, you've spent too long doing that. Now you got to go catch yeah. up on another thing. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's madness inducing. It's why I like doing the Kickstarters so much. Cause even though there are a lot of work, like during that 30 day campaign, mm -hmm. like, I wake up with a single objective, right. you know, like, I'm like, I got to wake up and I'm going to just start promoting this, <laughs> this <laughs> Kickstarter. I'm just going to be online doing this, this, and this, I'm going to draw some stuff. I'm going to talk to, you know, whatever, like, there's, there's a very clear, um, work order that, that I'm following. And so like, I'm trying to implement that in the rest of my stuff. So I guess in answer to your question, like I, once I know what I'm focusing on, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of just, uh, putting on uh, like appropriate music and going for long walks until like I, I sort out the, you know, um, like I, co I collect ideas that way. That's basically okay. how I collect all my ideas. It's just like, uh, like for this Batman story I'm working on, it's just putting on some soundtrack music um, and then walking around and letting, um, you know, letting this, this music sort of uh, inform or inspire um, uh, like visuals and scenes. And then just like having this, just, then I like go home after my walk and I'd write down, a bunch of things like here are some here are some scenes that I just thought of that I would like to see in here. Yep. And then like see where that goes. Like see if they all kind of what you know what stuff fits together and what stuff doesn't. And then I, I don't do a lot of like actual writing writing until I spend ages just wandering around mm -hmm. or like standing in the shower <laughs> like letting letting my mind wander. <laughs> right. Well it's I, 
it's you know i mean so like i said i was you know i didn't write today because i had to work on a i had to work on a presentation for a project for a client and i've been working on this thing sort of in the same similar fashion i've been collecting ideas thinking about this kind of putting all these musings together a lot of writing like i do a lot of writing for my design work because i like to think everything out whether it's longhand or on the computer and then i was really like last night i'm saying to my wife i'm like kind of freaking out because i don't have this whole thing together like i'm i'm missing something but then like I just sat down yesterday and I started, I put the, the presentation deck together. And what that was, was the outline of the story. And the story came together in pieces because like I knew the things I needed to put in there. I just didn't maybe have the answers for them. So all of a sudden that placeholder for the thing was sitting there. I'm like, and it had a title. I'm like, oh, okay, I just need to make that thing. And then my head could take all these other pieces that I had, you know, written down, collected, or had sort of held into static and put it together and go, okay, that's what I need. And then I made a visual reference of that, whatever it was, whether it's swipe or a sketch or whatever the thing needed to be. Um, and stories, that's kind of the way, like, like what you're saying, like I get that sensibility, like where it's a whole, like put these things together. I kind of let, I do a lot of free association when I write. Mm -hmm. So I sit down. And if I have the idea of whatever uh, the premise is, the character is, um, maybe some events that happen that I want to have happen, and I sit down and I will, I'll start writing that that sort of free association beat beat thing, just kind of going okay, then this and that and that and this, and then start moving things around and letting those things once they start touching and form another option, another option. And then they kind of, it kind of builds from that. Mm -hmm. So you're, I mean, I, I like that approach. Like I don't, I haven't really tried that so much, but what, what it reminds me of is something like I learned relatively recently like in the last few years, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, which is that, which is that I realized that like, unless you're actually writing something, you're not writing <laughs> <laughs> because I spent many years, I spent decades thinking that if I was wandering around thinking of interesting stories, no matter how much I thought about that story, right. or how detailed it was in my head, if I wasn't writing it down into a structure, then it was not writing. Right. It's just a bunch of garbage that's, that's floating around in there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't actually take any any shape. It's, there's nothing there's nothing sane about it or, or legible about it until I actually write. And like I just lived under this sort of misconception for years that, that I was, you know, I guess, yes, you're sort of, you're sort of working on it. Things are percolating, but yeah. until something's on the page, like there's nothing, there's really nothing. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fix something that isn't there. Yeah. You can't even see the problems no. until they're, until they're written down. And you don't even know what, like so much happens as you, as you, as you're describing, so much happens uh, in, in association from, words written on a page um that you can't account for when you're just you know letting things swim around in your head yeah um and it's like i don't know if it was just it's it's where it's where discipline comes in mm -hmm. frankly like i mean because like we can all daydream but when you actually have to sit down and 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 make a thing work which is the actual <laughs> the actual art or, or job of writing it's like the, the entire entire purpose of writing is to 
organized thoughts. Yes. Right. Like, like before you do that, nothing is organized. It's just like, it's just a lot of feelings and things that you may or may not be able to capture. Yeah. And they, yeah. And, and it's, and it's tough. And I think a lot of it has to do, you know, with not disappointing ourselves, you know, like, because if it's not good or great, then why bother? And, you know, I mean, and that's why most people don't make things. You know, it's also just work. Like the, work. the point at which it becomes work is when, yeah. is when most people just will just won't do it. But it's, it's fun. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's super fun. Yes. It's, it's so much fun, but it's yes. also it's hard. extremely difficult. It's so hard. It yeah, is. Like sometimes it takes years to, to make those connections. Dude, I, I mean, listen, I, you know, you know, I've, I've drawn comic books. I've, I've, you know, brought brands into this world, you know, international brands. I've done all these very impressive things in my, you know, to my, to my career, but there's nothing harder than writing a story. It's so much work. It's like trying to solve a jigsaw puzzle while juggling and riding a unicycle, you know, while people are shooting BB guns at you. Like it's just so hard. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's addictive. It's amazing, you know. Like it's like there's there's really no feeling. I feel like like some sort of like weirdo preacher, you know, week after week with artists, where I'm just like, so why aren't you writing a story, you know? And they're like, well, I I just draw. I'm like, no, 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 write a story. Like I'm I'm so trying to get like everybody to do it because I think it's just so helpful, even if that's not what you end up wanting to do. Being able to write a story for yourself and then be able to write a story for someone else. Mm-hmm. it's going to make you so much better. Those, those two things alone are really different. I'm, I'm yes. discovering. Um, but also like I, I, I say all the time, like I would, I would, I would rather read someone's weird, indulgent, imperfect um, uh, work that they comic that they've written and drawn themselves than, than a polished collaboration. I just mm-hmm. more, I just interested in, you know, like it's just, it's, it's one, a person is laid bare, you know, you just yeah. want to see, you just want to hear that person's authentic voice and see what, what it is that that's interesting to them. And, and like, that's what you get from, you know, from uh, work like that, like work that's um, like a single, singular, single creator, single. No, vision. you're to- you're totally right. And, and, and I, you know, I mean, Alison, I, I don't love one more than the other. You know, like I love, I love them all. Um, but the, you know, the further that you get down the road, the more you can appreciate all these really interesting, unique versions of the art form. You know, I can, you know, yeah, sure. I'm always going to love the X-Men or I'm going to love that really amazing thing. But it's also, there's so many great smaller things. Um, and, and it's so funny because like this whole conversation, we haven't been talking about artifice at all. You know, like we haven't talked about your artwork and you're great. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk at another time about your art, but it, it's, it, it is, it's a fascinating subject, you know, to sort of experience the, your, or to hear your experience as you progress into this kind of this environment of telling stories now at different levels. Mm-hmm. It feels like ultimately, like I, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm learning. I think uh-huh. humans are just happiest when they're learning, and um, so it's just, um, it's just a, 
much greater interest to me to be to be learning as a as a like learning story as a writer uh, as opposed to learning like i mean like there's tons of room for me to become a better artist sure. don't get me wrong right none of us are out right yeah like but um but at the moment yeah i just find it really uh, i'm just hungry to do it you yeah. know and to, to to do more of it and learn more as i'm as i'm doing it i think it's great um what what kind of stuff you know for listeners who aren't familiar with you um can they find of yours around now and, or they can look for that you want them to find? <laughs> um, well, okay. Um, well, basically everything's on my website. If you go to Carl, yeah, it's a great, it's a great website. Thank you. Um, that, that's another thing I like. I just like building websites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just like, like techie kind of things like, like, uh, teaching myself programming languages and things like that. I'm not good at that either, but I do, I do enjoy it as a different sort of pursuit. Um, uh, but yeah, on my website, you can read all of my um, my webcomic, The Abominable Charles Christopher. That's all there in its entirety for free. Um, you can read Death Transit Tanager, issue one. It's uh, it's all on there. I'm working on issue two now. That's my, my kickstarted space comic. It's <laughs> cool. Doing, um, which I, I'm really, really enjoying doing. It's also like a black and white kind of manga-inspired thing. Um, I'm doing... Uh, uh, some Batman stuff. I, I recently did um, trying to remember everything I've done. I, I, I did, uh, I did um, got a series called Gotham Academy at DC, which I'm really proud of that I worked on with Becky Clunan and Brenda Fletcher. And that's just been reprinted. Um, but I've done like a few different short stories with those characters uh, that have been published in Batman black and white and in the main Batman series. And I'm working on another one now uh, for the brave and the bold. Uh, so those are really fun. Um, I just did an issue of Mark Miller's uh, Ambassadors comic. Oh, cool! That was just collected. Yeah, I did issue two of that. That was a neat experience because every issue was drawn by a different artist. Yeah, and I really like Mark and and Mark's work. So that was a fun thing to work on. That was full script. That was like he he just writes a great mm-hmm. script. You know? Oh, good. So um, that oh, it's here actually. I just got comps for the uh, issue. It's got a Frank Quitely cover. Nice. Whiteley did the first issue. I did issue two. It's got uh, Travis Charay. Travis Charay doing an entire issue of comics since I don't know when. Uh, Olivia Quipel, like, Matteo Buffani, Matteo Scalera. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a really, really fun project. It's kind of a murderer's row. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, murder. right? Yeah. Super cool. Um, and uh, my image series, Isola, which has been on hold for a couple of years, but we plan to get back to. Uh, that's like a kind of fantasy adventure thing with a tiger in it. That's a lot of fun. That's like that, that book is, is um, really near and dear to my heart. Cause it's kind of like, it was sort of designed to be uh, um, like a, like a Ghibli paste sort of thing story that, that is sort of blending my kind of mainstream superhero work with like a lot of my web comic stuff, which is very like wildlife. Mm-hmm centric so it's like a lot of animals and forests and things like that it's cool swords so yeah uh, you can't go wrong with swords that's really fun um and it's beautifully colored by michelle azarasikon who is is uh like a sister to me she's one of my favorite collaborators um and yeah i don't know i can't think of anything else well offhand but if you go to my website it's all yeah i'll get the, the the links will all be in the body of this so they'll 
they'll be able to find you there. Also, actually, I, I should mention, like, if you're into into process and stuff, like, I, I know um, I don't have a Patreon page, but I basically set up the, the equivalent of a Patreon thing on my website. It's a subscription, like a monthly pay what you want subscription thing. But I, I bring it up only because, like, I post, like, for the last couple of things I did, um, I post all of the process, like, the, my, my, not my initial idea sheets, my in my synopses, the full scripts, uh, my rough breakdowns, like the letter, like basically the entire process of creating um, one of these short stories that I've done recently. And I think like that stuff I'd like to see more of from other people. Mm-hmm. I just like, I like seeing process stuff. So all that stuff's on my website. That's oh, that's I'm awesome. Doing. That's great. I, I think that's... Listen, it's invaluable if you're trying to learn how to do it. And it's exciting when you already do it to see someone else, how they get, they solve those problems. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, congrats again and good luck on the wrapping up of the Kickstarter. Uh, thank you. This is a fun talk. Yeah. I feel like we just, uh, just got going. I know. I, it's, <laughs> I, I, looked at the, I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, we've just, it, and it really feels like we just started, but uh, maybe we'll come, we'll come back and we'll talk about a few other things down the road. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and my, my hats off to your, to your wife and to Andy's wife <clears throat> for being the people who can clearly are making huge impact in your lives as creators. Cause I'm, I'm, yeah, it's uh, having a par- a good partner is important. Uh, oh yeah, uh, like uh, she, she's so supportive. Yeah, know? like uh, so shout out, like, Carl. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, man. I really was excited. I had a great time talking with you in person, and I just knew we were going to have a nice chat. Yeah, me too. I was looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to be at New York Comic Con this October. So if you're around, we can, uh, that's what, we can connect that's again. September, October? What is that? October, October 12th, 12th to 15th, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm sharing a table with Andy, so we'll be there hanging out. I drawing, might be up in stuff. town for that because that sounds about around the time the thing I'm working on will be happening. It's it, it's It'll be in New York City. So um, that would be great. So maybe I'll, so we'll see you then. Um, yeah. That'd be great. All right. Well, until then, get all the other stuff you have to get done. Keep writing, keep drawing, and uh, hang loose, man. All right? I will. Thanks, Alex.